This episode is brought to you by our sponsor, Teachers Well. Teachers Well empowers educators with the skills and resources to lead school wellbeing initiatives that are responsive to the wellbeing and learning needs of all students. One of the resources Teachers Well offers is the Compass Journal, which is designed to support the wellbeing of teachers throughout the school year. The Teachers Well Compass puts weekly strengths-based reflective prompts and a series of systems-aware collaborative tools in your hands that you can put directly into practice. And the best thing, the Compass is date-free, meaning you can pick it up and use it at any time during the school week or the school year. You can purchase a Compass by visiting teacherswell.com. We want to thank Teachers Well for sponsoring this episode. Their founders are a pretty cool team. Hello and welcome to the Wagtails podcast. My name is Megan Corcoran and I'm the director of the Wagtail Institute. In this podcast, I invite some pretty cool people to come and have a conversation with me on all things trauma, healing, education and well-being. I started this podcast as I realised some of the biggest learning that has happened in my career has been through meeting really great people that are working in the field and having great conversations with them. In this episode, I'm joined by Shane Kelton, author of the book, I Didn't Want to Die, I Just Wanted the Pain to End. This episode does come with a content warning as we'll be discussing the topic of suicide. We talk about Shane's journey with mental illness, his recovery, and how he has built the life he has today. If you or someone you know is going through a period of struggle, we highly recommend getting some extra support. In the show notes, you'll find some links to some Australian services that can provide this. All right, welcome to the 20th episode of the Wagtails podcast. Um, I'm joined by a special guest today, Shane. So welcome to the podcast, Shane. Thanks for having me. 20, that's... that's You're the 20th, it's yeah. It's coming along, that's great. Yeah, I'm pretty excited. To be honest, I plan to do 12 this year. I started in May, we're December now, and you're number 20, so... That's, that's impressive. I know a lot of people start podcasts, and I, I don't know the exact stats, but there's something like some people don't get past three. Yeah. And, I mean, it's a difficult space to, to work in, and I think what you're doing is amazing, so... Oh, cool. Thank you so much. But yeah, it's an honor. So 20 is a pretty uh, special number as well, I think, just to hit that 20 mark. So um, Shane, I always start the podcast by just asking the guests to introduce themselves and just share a little bit about who you are and, and why you've jumped on today as well. Shane, my name's Shane, as you, as you mentioned. Uh, so essentially, I'll try and answer the question in one answer here. I jumped on because I saw your post and I saw what you were doing in a I think it's hard to come across people in this space who just want to sort of give back. And I feel like that's what you want to do here. And that's essentially what I'm trying to do um, with telling my story and essentially recently just published a book on my story and want to try and get it out to as many people as I can, however I can. And coming across people and, and meeting new people is something which I guess fills my cup up a little bit as well. And just connecting in this space and learning. And I take the opportunity by being a guest, guest to learn off the person who's in asking the questions as well. So for me, it's just, yeah, it's a privilege to be in this position to speak about this stuff. Yeah, no, I'm so excited that you actually reached out as well. Um, it's happened pretty quickly for those listening. Um, yeah, Shane just reached out a few days ago and was like, hey, like looking at what you share and what I share, there might be something we can do here. Um, so pretty exciting. So Shane, do you want to talk a little bit more about your book then? Because this is a pretty 
pretty new thing for you? Yeah, it is. It's uh, well, it's the book launches were officially in November. Yeah, um, so very fresh. Very fresh. It was, it was, you know, quite an exhausting month in its mm. own way. Like just speaking about mental health and suicide, depression, and everything that comes with it is quite difficult from time to time. Despite me, as we're talking about off air, like finding it's I, I have a skill in it. Yeah, and you know, releasing it, and then what came with that, and not knowing what was going to come with that was quite daunting. But writing it was therapeutic, but mm. also very rewarding as well, just to finally put my story down on paper. And the idea behind it has been in the pipeworks for years. Um, but it was when a friend um, died by suicide 13 months ago, and having two young kids now myself, two boys, I was like, I have, to, I just have to write this now and I have to put this out there. And I genuinely think people that read it can get get something out of it, whether it be for themselves if they're struggling or whether it's, and I've had this feedback, whether it's someone that doesn't understand mental health issues or mental illness. And I guess the fact that some people get to the point where they um, attempt suicide, it's been really refreshing to have people come to me and say, I, don't, I didn't understand it, but you've given me that little bit more understanding mm. by sort of sharing parts of the journey, you know, in written form. And it just gives people the power to read it at their own peril as well. You, you, if it's too uncomfortable, you can pause and come back to it later or you find like you can read it in a day, which some people have. Um, it's really rewarding for them as well to, to then come back and have those conversations with me and essentially what the book is about is promoting these uncomfortable conversations so mm. they're not uncomfortable anymore. Yeah, no, I love that. That's so important because I think – I'm sure most people listening and myself included, like we all know someone who may have died by suicide or we know someone who's lost someone who's died by suicide mm. as well. Um, and I had a friend pass in a similar way um, during COVID. And I just remember some of the conversations that our friends were having around the time of it being a selfish act or him leaving people behind or all this sort of stuff that was really unhelpful as well. Um, so I'm assuming that this book would actually be helpful for those people as well that may have experienced that grief and that loss um, to, to frame it a little bit for themselves too and to understand that person's journey a little bit more. I, I, I like to think it does. I, there's a dedication at the start of the book to the 17-year-old who did die by suicide and I was in conversations with both his parents throughout the year and explained that, you know, the book was stemmed off that and mm. that inspired me and I wanted to keep his legacy going. And I think the way they've openly spoken about it, while it being really uncomfortable, really sets a tone for they don't understand it but also they understand that their son was in pain yeah and he wasn't intentionally leaving all these people behind and i'll go back to when i first started writing the book i had a meeting with the um, publishing team and the editor actually took a, away part of the book to a friend whose wife just died by suicide mm. and she just was having this conversation with him and he started to like tear up but this is what she told me she he started to tear up and she's like are you okay and he's like what you're telling me is what I wish other people were saying right now because a lot of his friends were they thought they were saying the right things but they were like I can't I can't believe she would leave you behind and I can't believe you know she would leave you with a couple of kids and he's like I don't want them to think that she's mm. a beautiful person who mm. was struggling mm -hmm. I don't want her to be remembered as this bad person per se yeah I want them to remember her as someone who was loving, who was just struggling. Yeah. And I think 
for me that seems to be the common theme when you are struggling when, when someone does die by suicide it's that selfish act and um, that goes back to when I was 13 I remember walking home from school and this all this is around my my first suicidal thoughts and nightmares were around that 12 to 13 years of age and mm-hmm. there was a 17 year old who died by suicide and we didn't get told like it wasn't told mm. at school but you find out and I remember mm-hmm. walking home with a girl and she's like I can't believe you'd be so selfish and I was just like well, I'm never going to talk about this. Mm, like, how, can, thing, how right? can I open up if this is what people think of yep. me for thinking this? And, yeah. you know, unfortunately, while that wasn't the only instance of that, there was a lot of, you know, talk like that and you've got your inter- internal systems telling yourself not to speak about it. And then, you know, for me, eight years of burying that down, mm. you know, it becomes too much. Yeah, yeah. No, absolutely. Key point. And I think... um. Like, and I think people still don't have it quite right, but there used to be this idea that if we spoke about it, we're fueling the idea. So it's like, don't talk about it. Don't don't plant the seed in someone's head. Yeah. And it's just like, that was so misguided. And I just think there's so many young people that, that need a platform and need to be able to talk about it. Um, I've got, like, there's two stories on that. Like I recently, only a couple of months ago, I won't say where it was, but I was asked to talk and present. And then they're like, oh, you can't mention suicide. <laughs> and I'm like, you're kidding. And I agreed to it to start with, but I was like, this doesn't sit well with me. Mm. And they're like, you'll trigger people in the room. And I'm like, if we keep avoiding these conversations, these people won't think there's a way out. And yeah, or they'll be triggered by themselves. Like, let them be triggered in the room where they're full of a room yeah, full of support. Yeah, the yeah. support you've got. You, that was at a retreat. So they've got two or three days of that support or those people to yeah. reach out if they're struggling with it. And the other one was I can't remember the other one because that was that that obviously that was sitting stood in my out brain. A lot. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, but yeah. Um, it's that reality of no, it was it was coming back to the researchers and speaking to people in mental health first aid and and have you know been across this for so many years. It's it does talking about it doesn't make someone do it. Yeah, it it allows someone to open up or to go. I'm not alone anymore. Oh, there's mm. someone else experiencing this, and I think there's so much power in standing in front of someone and saying, you know, I've been through these thoughts and I these thoughts still come up or um, I've come across suicide in my own mind or friends and I'm still standing and you can too because yeah. I, th- I think a lot of people, and I know for me, when you go through that, you don't think you're going to survive. That's right, so yeah. So you need, you need hope. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. We've kind of um, gone ahead a little bit, I think, Shane, because we've mentioned like when you were 12 or 13, that was your first sort of um, when you're starting to feel the idea and to maybe be exploring it in your own mind and your own self as well. Did you want to maybe talk a little bit about your journey from there? Like what, what sort of eventuated after 12 and 13? Well, as I sort of said before, like you suppress it and you, and everyone's going through their own things when you're a teenager. Mm-hmm. Um there's so much going on with your body. There's so much going on around you. You want to yeah. impress. You want to be perfect. You want to be loved. All of those things. So for me, it was just bottle it down. And there was, and I speak about this in the book, there was like a couple of friends through that five or six year period of high school where I would express the want to die. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't that I wanted to die. I just didn't know what was going on. Like yeah. I was, I guess for, for me, the main symptoms, causes, it's a circle of, I guess, doom in a way. Like you, you, you have poor sleep, then you have poor thoughts and you don't eat well and that's or, – or, or vice versa, chicken or the egg type scenario. Yeah. 
and for me it was didn't want to sleep because I had suicidal nightmares, which were realistic. Mm. Fall asleep like 3 a.m., wake up like 7 a.m. So I didn't want to get out of bed because I was too tired. Mm. And then you have this like flow-on effect through your day and there's parts of your day where you're really present, but then there's parts of your day where you're just like, I just don't want this to go on anymore. And I think the toughest battle of that is you feel like you need to hide that completely. And, and for me, I hid under my bed quite often at night when I got home from school and hid in my cupboards from time to time. And that was, wasn't was to hide so much from myself, but I didn't want other people to know I was like crying or, you know, in a really struggled state. So it allowed me to sort of decompress. And then when I'd hear someone come home, I'd open the door and I'd be smiling. So mm. those around me had no idea. Mm, that's interesting in itself, isn't it? Yep. Yeah, yeah. So, um, who did you, who were you living with through those years? Like, what was your family like? So, yeah, like, I, and that's the really, I guess, interesting part. Everyone thinks that you have to have certain trauma or certain mm-hmm. childhood to develop these issues. But for me, like, I was in a stable home with mum, dad, and my brother, a younger brother, and had really loving extended family who I saw you know quite often friends I had plenty of friends I was playing sport captain of sporting teams you know so if you were looking from the outside you know you didn't see someone you know because I was hiding it you wouldn't have thought anything was going on until sort of those back-ended teenage years but yeah for me like home life was you know is everything you want and I, I dare say that played a massive part in once I started speaking about it in the journey that's you know has me still sitting here today and walking around and speaking about this yeah yeah and what do you think might have happened if you talked about it back then (laughs) that's that's an interesting question because I'd I'd love to think that my friends and family would have been like all right let's let's get you some help etc etc but I think I don't think I would have gone to my family first. Mm. I would have probably gone to my friends, which I think, yep. you know, you've got other teenagers and stuff. They're going through their own internal battles or, or whatnot. And then, so I think it, it almost, not intentionally, but it would have been dismissed. Yeah, yeah. And not just out of, we don't know what to, not just out of, we don't care, we don't know what to do. That's right. And if we think about what we just talked about before, like even just recently you've been told not to talk about yeah. suicide. <laughs> so if we like backtrack to back then, like we were in that generation of you don't talk about these things, it makes it worse. So like suppress it. Yeah. Yeah. So you, your friends probably would have thought they were doing the best thing by going, let's not talk about that. Let's try and cheer you up or let's distract you. Yeah. yeah. Oh, 100%. I think there's even that now and I was thinking about that, the distraction piece. Distraction sometimes is really great. Oh, it's a coping strategy that can be really effective. Yeah, yeah. but it's when, it's when you do it all the time yeah. or you're not using the other resources to help, whether it be therapy or whether it be your meditation or your, your physical training or your connection or whatever it might be yeah. for you. It's distractions okay. It's a good in the moment strategy. It's just not a good solving strategy. Yeah. yeah. And so I think, you know, you would just be distracted, you know, even late teenage years it's you know just come to the party and i'll get your six pack or whatever it might be and what i I guess what i found out through that is drinking was great in the moment but Mm. once that you know you get that downer effect it was you know hit tenfold for me it was that was when suicide thoughts became 
all right, how do I action this? And mm. I'd be running away from parties. I'd, you know, friends would find me, you know, at, in random places or I'd have friends or family turn up at my house because, you know, they didn't know if I was going to be alive or not. Mm. So there's things that other people probably thought would help. And I think from time to time, you know, having a couple of beers is no problem. But the reality, if your mind's not in that space to be mm. able to manage it, then it's not. And, it, you know, through those teenage years, I still wasn't speaking about it. So it definitely wasn't. Yeah. Yeah. And how old are we talking here when you started going to those parties and stuff? It would have been 16, 17 onwards. Yeah. Like, I think I was always hesitant to start drinking when others were. Um, my, my parents weren't big drinkers. Yeah. Um, so I didn't sort of see what the big deal was. Um, and maybe there was an inclination in, I guess, my subconscious mind that if I went down that path, it probably wasn't going to end well. Because you, mm. you, you have a – and they – today you, there's a lot more understanding of what, what alcohol does, but back then you probably it probably wasn't spoken about much in school either. So Yeah, that's right. Yeah, it was a pretty normalised part of Australian culture really. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And as soon as you start breaching that conversation with people, now they're like, no, no, we don't want to know about it. Like we just prefer not to know. Yeah, and, yeah. Um, but for me – yeah, through I guess through those years, you you start to dabble in drinking, and then you realise it makes you feel better for a certain period of time, and yep. then it's like the next few days you don't feel that way at all. You go into hibernation, suicidal thoughts come back, and then mm. by the time it gets to Friday, Saturday, you're completely exhausted again. You're like, I just need a reprieve for a few hours. Yeah, and, but you just that cycle. Why you think it's helpful down the track becomes a lot worse. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. So how did um sort of the end of high school sort of play out for you? Like how were those years and, and that period of time? I'd say it was, it's interesting. Like I think when you read the book, I think when people read the book, they'll be like, geez, his, his life was so sad, but there was so many great things going on in my life. And, and that's probably why my mates were so confused um, when I sort of got, got to my suicide attempts later down the track. But, you know, I was still playing sport. I was, you know, doing relatively well in school. I struggled to learn the way the schools teach. Mm, I'm mm-hmm. not. <laughs> yeah. I, that's just me. And even like doing study now, I'm sitting in a classroom reading at a board. I just, my mind just goes a thousand miles an hour and I, yeah. I can meditate. I can do all that. But my mind just seems to do that. And I learn by doing things and, yeah. and being involved in stuff. So I probably, whether I have a bit of ADHD or something, I don't, I don't know. There's probably an element to that as well. Um, I don't really need to know. Yeah, um, yep. I can adapt and find ways. But it was, I guess, probably middle of year 12 where things, that all started to change, where it was like a daily occurrence where I was, you know, anxiety attacks started happening, which I didn't know I was having. I didn't know what they were until five or six years ago. So we're talking 10, 12 years yeah. after high school that I learnt that I was having them back then. Yeah. I was, I speak about this when I talk to groups is I always wanted to be an actor and I got to my mid-year exam and it was a group performance and I learned all my lines. I was like, this is my chance like to get into acting school, not knowing how it all worked anyway. And I got to like the day of the performance and I like pulled out and my drama teacher um, and my psychology teacher got along. So I'm wondering if there was private conversations going on behind saying, we know Shane's not coping well. And, mm-hmm. um, cause I had met with the school counselor once. Yeah. Um, so I pulled out and then 
the someone filled in my role and I remember going and he was reading off a script and I was like, that's not what you want to see when you're at a performance, yeah. even though it was a school performance. So I, fe- I felt guilty and then I was like, I was so determined to just like bounce back mm-hmm. and I just thought I could just bounce back and then got to my, my final performance, which was at the community centre, solo performance, really a keen, eager to do it and then on the morning... I just woke up, switched my phone off, hid in my cupboard for mm. eight hours until my brother got home. And it was just, it was a, I guess it was a full-blown panic attack and I didn't know how to manage it, didn't know what to do. And essentially I felt like my dreams were gone. I was never going to be an actor. And not only that, I went to the worst case scenario. I'm never going to amount to anything successful mm-hmm. in my life. And, you know, that's sort of how Year 12 finished and no education really backing me no real plan it it was if you put it like that it was never going to end well Mm, yeah it really highlights I think just even now we still put so much pressure on young people for that period of time and just go this means everything you've got to get this year right you've got to get those results you've got to nail that performance like if you want to chase your dreams yeah I just think we're still doing that to kids now oh I don't even I I hate entertaining this the thought of what goes on in schools because this, this is like where we've come out of the other side of it and I like I failed school like I genuinely didn't get a score or whatever and I know it's changed name now but I didn't get an enter score yeah so you think like your whole world's gone and skipping ahead like to I guess to put a bit of hope into this early mm-hmm. but yeah I was a, a successful PT for seven years like I've worked as a landscaper for seven years I have done so many other jobs I've traveled I've you know, now we've got a family, like I've written a book. Like mm-hmm. if you told me you 12 Shane that he would have done any of that, he would have been like, no, nah, you're not going to amount to anything. Yeah. But this is expectation that if you're not, you know, if you don't have your dreams locked in by the day you walk out, if your final graduation, yeah, well, you've failed. Yeah. And, yeah. and, and, and like our parents and their parents, have all filtered that through as well. They have, yeah. Yeah, which um, is crazy. It just shows the system hasn't changed for so long. <laughs> it's And it's like surely if the system's – surely it can't be working. Like surely that's they're right. not saying it's working. It, it, yeah. I think – yeah, it's, I think that's a conversation for another day. I could really like – and but I will say like there it's, is – It's relevant though I feel like because it, it fuels – like look at someone like you who was going through a period of struggle – and we're putting so much pressure in that mm. one period of time as well. And you're already going through struggle. And then you're getting the message that you've got to get this stuff right or yeah. the future's gone. And a male's brain doesn't develop until 25 That's as right. well. So yeah. like <laughs> yeah. rea- reality says yeah. by the time we're, we're, we're at that stage where we're able to you know function as you know, an adult at 25. Um, and funnily enough, like at 13, I wanted a house, two kids and to be married by 25. And yeah. so glad that didn't happen because <laughs> I would have stuffed that all up. But it's it's so important for people to just understand that it's not the end of the world. Yeah. Like you yeah. can walk out of year 12 and you can do whatever you want to do. Well, it's only it's about done. to begin. That's the way yeah. I look at it now. Look, I was similar to you in year 12. Like I, I wasn't really applying myself as much. I was getting a lot of pressure from school to be like, you, you could be something, you need to apply yourself. 
I just wasn't that interested <laughs> and at that, the time. And that, now I'm look back and I'm like, I've done everything. Well, I didn't even know what I wanted to do yeah. back then, but I'm doing a lot of things that school was telling me I couldn't do. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm, I mean, I, I did some acting work. Like it was just extra work and got a couple of little small gigs. And what I learned is acting's probably not my forte, but at high school, I was basically left with the fact that I didn't think I could even do that. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's, I think we just need to understand that, well, we need to try and teach kids differently for starters, but yeah. we need to in, really focus on empowering them and from a younger age because like, I'm only a two-and-a-half-year-old, but I see kids, you know, five, six, seven, and how empowered that you are. And, and we were like that. Yeah, we were, yeah. But it's, it gets yeah. squashed. Yeah, it does. The whole system is about conformity. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so it's like, yeah, right now you've got these big, bold ideas, but we're going to make sure that you just know how to sit in a chair and listen. Yeah, and it's it's there's... You know, the people coming out with adult ADHD mm. and the statistics are just rising and rising and rising. And it's like, well, look at that and go, what could we have done for them 20 years ago? Let's not, like, obviously they need to go through their treatment and what they need to do to help that. But let's look at why this is occurring exactly. at a later age in life. Let's look at the root cause. And I think these great programs which are now coming into school, but I think, like, maybe the first hour of primary school at least, which is, I don't remember anything I learned in primary school. Maybe it possibly set me up for high school. I don't know. <laughs> um, but have that first hour of a like, and it's just an idea. I don't know how, if it works or how it works. But the first hour, you've got each teacher in a different part of the school and it's up to the kid whether they want to do physical exercise, mm-hmm. whether they want to do art, whether they want to do music, whether they want to meditate. Whether, give them an array of all the mental wellness strategies that there is and say it's up to you what you do. You've just got to do one of them. I love that. You're speaking my language completely. (laughs) It gives them the choice. Yeah, yeah. They get to pick what they want to do and they're doing something which is going to set them up for the next six hours. That's right, yeah. And studies have showed that if you've got a kid who is mindful and present and has had some enjoyment and all of that, they're going to learn more anyway. So it's like... Yeah, and school can be a really stressful place as well for a lot of these kids. So it's like go in and do a de-stressing activity so you can lower it down before then you have to go in and try and learn. And it's, I guess it's not even, we're not even taking into consideration what's happening potentially at the home for these kids as well, which I know you do a lot of work in trauma, but these kids could be coming to school heightened. That's right. And then you're like, all right, now we're going to learn for the next six hours. Sit in this chair. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Get them moving, get them doing something that's going to help them. Because you know what, then school becomes this fun place to go to as well. And we need a... And it's, it sucks that we need to create safety, but we need to create really safe spaces everywhere. Yeah. But for for the kids, we need to start them in school and doing these things. And also maybe part of that is learning about emotions and regulating those emotions and, you know, really teaching them from a young age because we know that's the crucial part, of, crucial years of development. And yeah. I've got a mate who I speak to and we speak a lot about this stuff and when my son cries, he's only two and a half, I I just hold him and I mm. take really big nose breaths when I'm next to him. And yeah. I say, just remember your deep breaths. Does he do them? No. But I know at some stage he will start to do them without That's me right. saying it yeah. because he's, he's in that environment. It's, you know, it's sinking in some, on some level. Yeah, yeah. And there's going to be a day where, and we all have them, you, you, you become older and your parents aren't there. That's right. And that, that'll, I reckon that'll be the moment where he goes, all right, what dad taught, teach me, taught me how to breathe properly. And I think 
I never got that. Not, and I'm not blaming anyone. It's just the way it was. But I think, yeah, you know, sitting here and talking about it and people listening, it's about us making those changes. And, and believe me, like I, it might sound like I'm saying it's really easy to do, but like when my son is crying, I'm like, please stop crying, please stop in my head. Like I'm yeah, like, this is like all my stuff comes yeah, up, and yeah. I'm like, no, what does he need? He needs safety, calmness, and okay, what well, do I need to do that? And I need to breathe as well. That's so it's, right, yeah. it's ingraining it in me as well. Yeah, um, yeah. No, you're highlighting so much of the stuff that I talk about and work with people around as well. It's that idea of co-regulation. Like we need to do it so many times, like hundreds of times before yeah. someone's going to self-regulate. And for a lot of kids, they're not getting that. So it's, yeah. a, it's, it's such important stuff. But you're really also highlighting how important it is to regulate yourself before you do it with him too <laughs> and how hard that is because we weren't. Our, our parents' generation wasn't necessarily on, on the same page and aware of all of this. And there was all that stuff around, oh, like, let them cry it out. Like, mm. let them sit by themselves and cry it out and come to us when they're yeah. calm. And it's sort of like showing us that we have to earn that yeah. connection with them. Whereas yeah. you're just showing him, no, you're, you're having a distressing moment and I'm here for you. Yeah, and I think, like, on, on the other side of it, it's like, I, I have, he, he can't communicate very well. He's two and a half, but it's like, where are you saw? And he'll point and there's no mark. And I'll say, there's no mark. Can you move it and tr- talk him through that? And yeah. he like looks down and he moves it. And I say, so is it okay? And he's like, yeah. Mm, like Just that reassurance. Yeah. It's yeah. like, it's so it's not like you're okay, mate. Yeah. Like when you stop crying, I'll come over and we'll sort it out. It's like, okay, come over here. Let's work through this yeah. now. Because on some level they get it. Yeah. And, you yeah. know, sometimes they they don't and sometimes they are crazy little kids. But I think we can't judge them because they're meant to be irrational. Yeah. The amount of irrational adults that are walking around, <laughs> me included. Absolutely. We, yeah. we, can't, yeah. we can't be too hypocritical of a child that's meant to be irrational. Yeah. Like, yeah. We're, we're meant to be quite rational beings and, and we're not. We're all adults walking around having adult tantrums and that's stuff right. like that. So <laughs> yeah. uh, I find, like, we can't be too hypocritical of a kid who's you know, expressing something that's new to them. Completely. But the other thing that I think like links really well with your story here too, though, is like your son now is like learning that when something's hard, I can go to someone like already seeing that. Yeah. Um, and they'll like my dad will work, work through this with me. And then he'll learn that other people can do that for him too. Yeah. Whereas I think for a lot of us, it was like suppress those emotions, <laughs> come to me when you're calm and that's when we'll connect. Yeah. And it's like just even your journey. It's sort of like, well, if, you, if our whole generation was raised to know that we can come when something's distressed, um then maybe we would have felt like we could talk about suicide yeah. in those earlier years and there's no doubt that you can you can guide someone and you can give them every ounce of empowerment to come to you and still some won't and that that's reality so yeah i'm not sitting here going if my parents did this 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 that's and this right, i yeah. would have I, yeah. I don't know yeah but i want to make sure for me and i hope others do as well that they give their kids as much confidence to come to them as possible and I speak about this I spoke about this at his first birthday and I said to like the mother's group and the husbands I said all right if anything goes wrong over the next five or six years with Ryder call Alicia when he's a kid I'm going to really struggle but I said when he's 15 16 he's <laughs> yeah. caught at parties drugs involved whatever it might be I said call me because <laughs> I'll be the calm one and Alicia will be the fancy yeah. parent and she yeah. just looked at me and laughed and I was like you won't know how to deal with that but I want I guess, and my mum always said to me, if you need me, please call me. And yeah, yeah. There's that, but I think there's this element of building it up for 15 or 16 years to yeah, be like, you right. can still come to me whenever you need it and I'm not going to push you away. And 
there's the element of we are still human beings who have busy lives, but it's making sure that we can prioritise it when we can. Yeah. And, and and giving them that knowledge, you know, deep down inside that something's really wrong and I need to go to dad or mum. Yeah. And they're not going to tell me off. They're not going to punish me for expressing myself or if, if I've made a mistake. And I, I made plenty of mistakes and I was like, if I tell my parents I'm going to be ashamed, they're going to yeah. be, you know, I'm going to feel guilty. They're going to, you know, punish me. I'm going to have to pay for whatever I've done. And that makes you just want to keep it within. And then all of a sudden you're doing it again and again yeah. and again. And yeah. so hopefully when my sons make mistakes, which they will, and they'll push up, they'll push boundaries and all that, they'll come to me and say, oh, I stuffed up. Yeah. Okay, cool. I'm going to stand by you as you fix the mistake or we're going to, I'm going to do what I can, but you've still got to learn that lesson yeah. as well. Yeah. And I think that's it's an important part of with anyone, like anyone that's going through, not just kids, but anyone that's going through a really you know, struggling time. It's like, I'm not going to fix you, fix it for you, but I'm going to stand here beside you because you're my mate or you're my brother or you're my mum or you're my dad or whoever it is. I'm going to stand beside you. I'm going to sit there with you until you get through whatever it is. Yeah, such an important thing, which makes me want to backtrack a little bit and talk about, um, like, because I know we've touched on the fact that you had, the, the teenage years were pretty tough for you and there was the ideas around suicide. Um, what did it look like for you to recover from all of this and to, like, what 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 got you through, I guess, in the end? In the end, yeah. So <laughs> or at the time or whenever. It's, I guess the years between high school and my suicide attempts. So my suicide attempts were at 21. Um and I remember a couple of things, really pivotal moments that probably really um, drove the change. And it was a roller coaster, which I'll probably touch on. But the, a mate came in, and he's like, there's, there's plenty more fish in the sea. Because I'd just gone through a breakup and I was like, oh my God. I was like, mate, this it's been eight years in the making. Like, the breakup was just like a trigger. And mm-hmm. I later had to explain it to her. Like, I was like, this wasn't your fault. Like, yeah. I would have got there eventually if I hadn't, because I wasn't reaching out. Yeah. Um, and then the nurse that I was in hospital with, she would have known why I was in hospital. I just tried attempting my own life. And she just treated me like every other patient. And that, whether she was just being ultra professional or whether that's just her, it, it kind of left me going, well, maybe I can get help for this. Like maybe my mind can be, you know, healed and it can be retrained and I can go down this path and find help and those two things really stuck out for me and then when I came out of hospital I went back to the footy club and there was multiple people that came up to me and and started sharing their stories Mm. and like that just gave me so much power to be like well I can't this isn't a forever thing or this doesn't have to be this way and one of the common things that came up with many of the, the males that came up to me was they still hadn't told their family or friends. And I was like, that's not right. It just didn't sit right with me. I was like, yeah. this person says they're going okay, but they're doing this alone. Mm. I was mm-hmm. like, doing doing this, if they're doing what my mind's doing, doing that alone is not a great thing to do. Like yeah. it is completely overwhelming and it makes you go to really really dark places and if you're not even you know going to a therapist or you're not you know 
speaking to someone about or getting some of these things out in some capacity, you know, it really does feel like you're doing it alone. And it's when you go into those darker moments where you're like, oh, I'd really love to talk to someone now, but you haven't built any rapport or... Yeah, you're already at the crisis point. Or, yeah. Yeah. And that's, yeah. it's too late. So, well, if people are listening, it's not still not too late, yeah. but reach out. But, you know, for me, I was like, I think I can just be a voice for these people. And I started using that voice and I started just being really open and transparent. And with doing that, I found there was ways that I could sort of retrain my mind and heal and there was strategies I could use to prevent myself entering these dark places and it definitely wasn't easy. I sort of mm. mentioned the word roller coaster before, like the next yeah. five or six years, like the amount of ups and downs were and the depth of the ups and downs were so f- frantic, I guess is probably the word. Mm-hmm. And, you know, when you find yourself back in that suicidal place, you're like, I've failed. And, and it comes with this extra pressure because mm. people sort of are like seeing you doing well. So you're like, I have to keep doing well. But the reality is when you go through this roller coaster, is you're still going to go up and down. Like that's the human. Yeah, that's right. Do, yeah, yeah. So, yeah, I had to, yeah, I went to five different psychologists like before I was like, and I think it's important to touch on why the reason I went through a few is because I, I believe I didn't click with the first mm, person. Yeah. I think that's really it's so important. Yeah. Like you don't get along with everyone. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that that's another thing too, where people just go, Oh, you've got to go get a psychologist. So you go get one and it doesn't feel right. And they're like, something's really wrong with me yeah. and it's not working. <laughs> yeah. And it's like, actually you're a human being and that relationship's really important. Yeah. Like you have to click, yeah. otherwise you're not going to get anywhere. Like I've seen a few different psychologists and it's only recently that I'm like, I have found the absolute psychologist yeah. for me. Yeah. But well, and then yeah. I found one and they, they, then they moved on and oh, I was like, no. oh God. So, but there's that reality as well. Like yeah. it's a tough field for people to work in as well. And yeah. I, yeah. And then it, you know, it took a couple more to find one. And I think, the other, there's two, probably two other important points for me with that is I may have clicked with some of the early ones, but I didn't do the work. So mm-hmm. I'd go in, mm-hmm. I'd deload for an hour yeah. and I'd walk out and like, I'm good to go now. Uh, and then yeah. I wouldn't do anything. Like yeah. I would just live my life and not put in the work and then I'd find myself suicidal. So I was like, well, that psychologist didn't oh, work. Gotcha. yeah, yeah. <laughs> I was like, looking back now, I'm like, how yeah. is it their fault? <laughs> for, they had one hour with me in my life. Like yeah. that was, it's not even giving them a go. Yeah. And then the other part was I found that, and I think the, me- the medical system is great in terms of the rebates you get for this because I understand that it is hard for some people to pay mm. for this. Mm-hmm. But for me, when I got to like the fifth or sixth psychologist and I'd sort of gone through my mental health care plan and I had to pay like $150 per session. It was, it was all out of pocket. Once I started actually paying the money, I was like, I actually have to do some work yeah, because... Yeah, that's interesting. Yeah. yeah and you're accountable now. It's yeah. Kind of like, yeah. And also I had no money to drink on weekends. Yeah. So it was like this double-edged sword of like yeah. you're getting better because you're not drinking yeah but you're putting the work in as well and it's like again like i sort of mentioned before that circle it was the circle was changing but it was sort of a healthy circle now and yeah you know it wasn't gambling and you know you couldn't take drugs because you you didn't want to waste going to the therapy session and yeah that was when things started to like you know really change for me it was like you're doing the work you're accountable um 
you don't have the money to just blow it yeah. and you know people would have absolutely seen a change and you know i went to from i i you know quit my job as a landscaper pool tile and became a personal trainer because i wanted to help people i could see the good in everyone mm. um and sounds like the meaning and purpose stuff started to land around then as well yeah yep yeah yeah definitely yep. and i was like more open about my mental health started a facebook blog became a pt mm-hmm. brought my own community in and um it was great for a while until it wasn't i did burn out eventually and i'm happy to talk about that but <laughs> um yeah it was just it's a roller coaster it's and it still is like people think mm-hmm. you just get on with it and you know i've known two people who died by suicide in the last 13 months one was a close colleague who we we openly talked about our previous suicide attempts we openly talked about the moments leading to that how we felt all this and you know three months after we have these really in-depth conversations he died by suicide and i didn't just i wasn't happy like you go through the grief you go through the process all of a sudden a lot of things come back for me you fall back into those holes and it just pointed out to me that this human existence for me i'm gonna fall back into those holes from time to time Mm -hmm. it's not just about prevention for me it's about the reality that sometimes i'll fall back in and, and others will fall back in and it's okay but you'll learn each time how to sort of bring yourself out of those holes yeah. safely. Yeah. And, you know, I spent nine or ten hours in my car one day um, in July this year. And on the, I was texting a friend who's also a psychologist. I was texting my wife and I was like, just letting you know, mind is overflowing with thoughts and it's quite scary. I'm just going to sit in my car for the day, look out over the beach. I'll message you every half an hour to let you know I'm okay. Here's where I am just to give them full clarity of that I'm okay yep. in its own way. Like I'm not yeah, okay, yeah. but I am okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that yeah. was, to me, it was like when you go to these sort of dark places, it's you can still get through them and like you don't have to sabotage, you don't have to go to alcohol or drugs or whatever and you can find something and, you know, by nightfall I was like, oh, I'm ready to go home and I'm going to go to bed. You know, I was exhausted. You know, mm, of course. Sitting with your own mind for nine hours, which yeah. is playing these tricks on you, is yeah. is exhausting. Yeah. Um, and I guess for me, like writing the book and talking about all this stuff is I don't want other people to go through that pain and that exhaustion because when you live with those thoughts day after day and night after night for weeks, for months, for years, you become exhausted. And, and I mean, studies will show that that's where people fall into schizophrenia Mm. from time to time and bipolar. And there's a lot of these other disorders which really start to rear their heads because they've just been trapped for so long. Mm. Um, And it's, I won't say it's too far, too gone, because it's not for some, but it's almost at that point where people have pushed everyone away. And it's, it's like it's quite sad to witness and watch. And a lot of my previous clients were in that state and you you could go through all the trauma and it just reaches that point and I know for me it's really important to sort of stick that message out that like if you just reach out and you get help and early intervention and learn these strategies each time you sort of fall back you can bring yourself out a little bit quicker and it's not as daunting yeah like I'm not worried about falling back into those holes it's like it might happen but I know what I'll do like if I wake up feeling really off I'll message my wife saying I don't think I'm going to leave bed for the next couple of hours. I might just need a bit of extra sleep. Can you just keep kids, you know, 
not in the bedroom um, and I'll switch my phone off and I'll, I'll listen to a podcast and I'll just allow myself that space and then I'll be, I'll be good to go. Whereas 10 years ago, 15 years ago, it would have been like, hide, don't tell anyone, mm. drink on the weekend, mm-hmm. repeat the cycle. So you learn you know, through the journey. It's so important to do that. Yeah, and no, I'm really glad that you're highlighting the humanness of it all as well. It's not just like a, a fix, you know. It's not just like a, we've turned around and now that's never going to, those thoughts are never going to come or the hard times aren't going to come as well. <laughs> it's a human journey yeah. and it's, yeah, I think it's really important that you're highlighting. It's about the strategies and the supports and, and the fact that you're not letting yourself do it alone. Mm. Like, yeah, really important lesson well, there. Life life happens to all of us. It's, yeah. we're not immune and yeah, I don't like speaking about code, but, you know, there's some things we don't have a say in. Like, it's really unfortunate and not just COVID, but the finances, financial situation that the world's going through, or I know Australia's going through, I don't know about the word, but that, you know, house prices, you know, houses burn down from time to time, people mm. die. Like, we all go through really shitty things and yeah. shitty experiences and no one's immune to that. Like, yeah, no one. Unless unless you literally want to hide in a cave and not have any family or friends. Yeah, but then you might have, like, a, some wild animal <laughs> yeah. come in anyway. So there's, there's, there's no way of yeah. avoiding it. And yeah. I think I'm not saying I'm embracing – some people might say I'm embracing the discomfort or embracing life being sad, but the reality is I struggle from time to time and the other reality is that life can hit you at any moment and you don't know, like, I could turn my phone on, you know, in an hour and I could have a call from someone or saying something really bad's happened and, you know, then it's on me to use my management skills and what I've learned over the last 35 years, 35, yeah, 35 <laughs> years to work myself through that process. Do I need to, is it okay to grieve? Is it okay to just sort of lock myself away? Well, yeah, it is because this is, whatever it is, is really tough. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Is, it, is, it, is it my time to step up for... The person around me that's going through probably a tougher time yeah it is and when i've got them through that i'll have my moments and you have that ability to compartmentalize a lot more where mm. when you're really sitting in your own pity party which i still do occasionally it's just all about you and when anything bad happens you're like i can't believe this happened to mm. me and it's like mm-hmm. what's reality it's not happening to you yeah. like you're just emotional and your thoughts and your feelings and all of that is just being it's all about the perspective, really. Yeah. 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 Doesn't mean I'm happy all the time. Doesn't mean of course, I don't yeah. grieve. Like yeah. there's there's reality and there's ideas and you know, you've got to find the balance of all of that. Mm, absolutely. Yeah. Um, well Shane, you've touched on the fact that you um I guess you use some strategies to look after yourself as well. I'm curious about the fact you became a PT and you've embedded some movement. <laughs> Um, I'm assuming that was part of you because you're talking about sport and things like that anyway. But I just wanted to see if that's been a big part of um, your mental health and whether it's supported it, whether it's something you advocate for now. Yeah, it's it was a double-edged sword in a way. Like I, physical training became everything. Mm. And then like I, almost addictive or? Yep. Yeah, okay, gotcha. Yep. <laughs> yep. And then I had two hip surgeries. Yeah. And all of a sudden I can't do it, couldn't do it anymore. Oh, wow, yeah. So... It taught me that I had to have other ways to bring joy into my life and there had to be this internal contentness with the way life was. And I guess probably what we're just speaking about was a little bit about that. And like your reality is some shitty things will happen and, you know, great things will happen and it's not living in each each end. It's 
flowing through whatever happens. But for me, it was when I had the two hip surgeries, I started to fall into that rut again. And, you know, then I started to, you know, find other things to do. And I, I bought a kitten who, you know, you think kittens and even puppies, they're like bouncing full of energy. This, this <laughs> kitten just sat on me for like weeks because I couldn't move. And yeah. it, but it just knew. Yeah. Um, it was through that period of time I started reading books, mm-hmm. um, meditating a little bit, journaling, art, just tried to do different things, listen to podcasts, listen to music, trying new skills. There was so many things I did and I didn't have much money because I wasn't working because I had hip surgery. So I, I was looking for the free stuff as well. Like what can I do that's going to help yeah. my mind and my body and all of that. So physical is extremely important. And I've like just recently got joined back at a gym for a sense of community as well. And I think that's the other side of physical yeah. training and sport is yeah. it's not just the endorphins and the the way it makes you feel and potentially look if that's what you're after, but it's the connection with other people. And um, where I go, I like to hide in the corner a little bit anyway, <laughs> but I still feel connected. Yeah, yeah. Um, yep. And they, they, they're they pretty good. They let me hide in the corner a little bit and do my workout and they'll come past every now and then and tell me to squat deeper or <laughs> um, lift a bit more weight. But it's, you know, my way of just being out and, you know, that's uncomfortable for me. I'm, I'm People probably don't get this but like I'm a homebody like mm-hmm. and I, I get that from my dad like he would he would just sit and chill in the room if he, he could I'm a homebody but I also get really lonely so it's like this tough balance yeah. between yeah getting out but not having conversations with everyone all day which yeah, is really like really losing all your energy <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah so for me it's like it's getting exercise where I can and like I play cricket still I wish I could play footy but my body doesn't allow it um Playing cricket is just about being connected and being around people and just having those real conversations with people because I find like when you're in environment, you enjoy you having more meaningful conversations more often and that gives you more joy and um, yeah, there's the added benefit of physical exercise helps in so many mm, in so yeah. many ways but it's definitely was an addiction for me and I see a lot of people in you know saying i'm looking after my mental health and it's like you're doing two and a half hours of gym yeah. every day it's like yeah. that's not you're avoiding something yeah like <laughs> yeah. and i i yeah like, i don't need to say the name or which gym i was at but i was pt and a guy said he's like i'm doing two hours a day one i seeing results mm. and i was like i don't want to burst your bubble but i was like i feel like you're avoiding something and he, he did he said oh yeah i am yeah i was like okay well instead of going to the gym five days a week i said i, I think you should take out your, the middle day in that day, go to the beach, go for a walk, do some journaling, do some meditation, just just break it up. I said, I think the path you're going there, because he's been in the gym six months and he'd gone from like seven and a half kilo dumbbell press to 10 kilos. There was people who were walking into the gym and been there a week who were lifting more. I was like, yeah, yeah. Like you the should. The body's not responding. Yeah, it's yeah. not, it's, it's not, yeah. it's burning out. Yeah. And then like two weeks later, I was PTing two other clients and this is obviously his awareness. He he walked up and he interrupted. Well, I was like PT, and he's like, oh, "I was just wondering if we'd ask you a question." I was like, "Yeah, all right, go for it." I was like, "Sorry, guys." He's like, "Oh, I can't feel my arm." Oh wow! And I was like, "Look, I'm a PT, so I probably can't give you too much advice. Like that would be yeah. stepping out of school." Yeah. He's like, "Yeah, when I do." He's like, "Yeah, okay." He's like, "I'll oh, look. I'll 
I'll see a specialist. And I was like, why haven't you yet? And he's like, oh, I just thought I could push through it. And I was like, so what's, like, what's going on? And I was like, look, I think a nerve in your arm is basically tangled up, too much pressure, inflammation, which is from overtraining. Mm. And he's like, oh, okay, I'll just... I was like, you need to see a specialist because like, if you leave that, if it is a nerve, that's not just your arm, that's going to affect your neck, your head, your back, mm. and you're in a world of trouble. And on the Monday, it was like three or four days later, he's like, I saw a specialist. Yeah, nerve in the shoulder's gone. I've been training too much. And I was like, yeah. see, like, it's healthy until it becomes unhealthy. Yeah, of course. Like, yeah. like anything. And yeah. people, and I will guess I'll share experience on that this year, like mine used to be alcohol, drugs, and gambling. Now when I feel like I'm going to coping mechanisms and really unhealthy strategies, it's TV, social media, and food. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. All three things people look at and go, oh, that's okay. Yeah, yeah. It's like, well, I put on 10 kilos, I'm avoiding my family, and yeah. I'm staying up till 3 a.m. Yeah. Well, part of that is okay. Yeah. Like, it's okay in small doses, just yeah. like alcohol. That's right. We can have addictions to so many different things. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And it all is avoidance or coping strategy of some kind. Yeah, I love, yeah. I love the person that says they're okay who spends hundreds of thousands of dollars after 10 p.m. on online shopping. Yeah. I'm like, are you, yeah. are you sure? Yeah. yeah, I'm good. Okay. <laughs> That's it. We've got to get a bit more real about what addiction and addictive behavior actually is and yeah, yeah why it's a concern. Yeah. yeah. Well, we're getting close to the end of our time together, Shane, and I did let you know that I ask um, everyone five questions at the end. Are you ready? I'm a bit nervous now, actually. <laughs> I'm a bit nervous. A bit no, it's totally fine. It's meant to be gut answer. Um, just go with how you feel and whatever comes out is fine. Yep. Well, the first one you've kind of already answered, but it is what did you want to be when you were a kid? So I don't know if the actor thing was when you were really little or was it? Well, it was two. It was two and it's probably really relevant, but I saw I wanted to be an actor. I'll say I want to be an actor on Neighbours. Oh, yep. So very um, specific. Yeah. I, I think it, I think I think that was because of the connection I have with my mum. We always watched it. Oh, yeah. Um, I was an extra on Neighbours a couple of times. Oh, so, so you made it. I kind of made it. I yep. don't know if you could say made it. It was 15 <laughs> or 18 bucks an hour. Um, uh, but the other thing I wanted to be was I wanted to be a stay-at-home dad. Oh, there you go. Um, yep. And I think part of, while I don't think that's still my dream, there's an element of whatever I'm doing, with my book, with speaking events and stuff, I want to create something where I'm home a lot more, yeah, um, a lot more present for my kids. But not only my kids, but their friends, because I grew up where in a place where all my friends would come to my house or yeah. our house, and yeah. I, th- I I want to be the yeah the parent that picks up you know mate's kid and says yeah they can come over a couple of hours and 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 do that because. And whether that's realistic, I don't know. If people watching want me to come speak, then maybe they can help. But yeah, um, yeah, that's that's always been sort of number one. I, I always keep that in the back of my mind as well. With everything I'm trying to create, it's it's trying to get to that spot where I can, over the next ten years, be a more present and physical presence yeah, in my no, kids' lives. And yeah. then once they start to hit school and teenage years, they won't want me around, and I get that. So yeah. that's when I'll start to go back into that you know, full-time hours or, or whatever that looks like. Yeah, yeah. No, I think it's definitely possible. And also I think our system needs to be more responsive to family and to, to other life dreams other than work as well. Yeah. So, yeah, highlighting a cool thing there. <laughs> um, the second question is what are your two top values? You can only choose two, which can be really tricky sometimes. Oh, that's a tough one because um, 
in terms of in terms of what? Like, well, just like the guide you. So like, yeah, two values that you feel like um, you try and live and breathe every day in what you do. I think number one is just being like open and vulnerable, mm. um, not shying away from what's going on. And I don't live that, Like, but that would be but my it's number important. one. But important you're trying to yeah. practice it. Yeah, for it's, sure. It's yeah. practicing that as much as possible. Yeah. And then again, another one I'm probably trying to practice as much as poss- possible is just being more present with myself, my family, and my friends. So mm-hmm. um, that's I hope that's one in, in, in itself. It's just that collectiveness because for my mental, going through my mental health experiences, I know I haven't been present for my family and friends probably when they've needed me because I've been going through yeah. what I've been going through. And I think coming out the back of this, you know, if the book sells really well and, you know, everything sort of flow Again, it's probably similar to the question one. Is mm. This flowing effect of I can be more present yeah. for everyone around me and, yeah. give, and give back. Yeah. And it's and I give back and have to so many people I don't know. Mm-hmm. Writing blogs, journaling, random messages on Instagram and yeah. Facebook and always give, give, give. But And I know this and I said this to my mates at my book launch. It was like, I know I haven't been the best friend because – and but this is why and – if I can sort of create that life that I was sort of talking about before, I can just give a little bit more back. Mm. It's, it's not heaps, but it's yeah. probably enough to, um, you know, help fill my cup up at theirs as well. Yeah, I like that. Um, the third question's a bit silly. So <laughs> I haven't told you, but I'm actually into boxing. Um, so if you were going to have a boxing fight, what would be your walkout song that they play while you're walking oh. to the ring? <laughs> I'm going to take the piss out of myself here. Um, so... Because I used to run away from things, so like, and this 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 isn't when I say it's funny, it's not funny because it, I went it was I was struggling when I was running away, and my friends would, but friends didn't know. But I'll take the piss out of myself, and they um the song Craig David um I'm walking away. <laughs> they used to play that, and I used to hate it. But I think now looking back retrospectively. I get it, and yeah. I think it would be quite funny if I walked out to a boxing fight and my mates. Oh yeah, it's very ironic it. almost. Yeah, yeah. and yeah. It, yeah, it just works. So I think I think <laughs> I'd like to take the piss out of myself a little bit. Um, yeah. I also think if I stepped in a ring, given my head knocks over the years, I'd be pretty silly. So I don't know if I'd be walking out of the ring. Oh, all right. Well, that's like let's not put you in a ring. <laughs> yeah, I won't, I love boxing as well, but I've I, I was going to have a fight a couple of years ago oh, for charity, but yeah. I. Yeah, I had a couple of a couple of head knocks playing footy and cricket, and I was like, "Nah, it's, it's a tricky one." Like, I honestly, I don't compete now because I'm worried about the head knocks. So it's it's a hard part of the sport. Yeah, yeah it's a shame. And I've got like I've got a couple of friends who are boxers and like world champions and stuff, and I ask them the questions about that, and it's a job, it's a sport. It's yeah, like, it, yeah, it's a bit different to like if it's their job versus us just jumping in the ring yeah. for charity or something. <laughs> yeah. yeah, and they have professionals yeah. looking after them. Yeah, so. yeah. Um, the fourth question is, if you could collaborate with anyone, dead or alive, who would it be? Mm, that's a great question. It's a tough one, though. <laughs> it is. And I'm probably trying to think where, in what field would I collaborate? Yeah. Um, you've, you've stumped me. Um, <laughs> I didn't. Right. I probably should have listened to the questions. <laughs> no, it's fine. <laughs> um, I think... It depends which space, like I've got connections in different space of people I know. And I can't really think of too many people I don't know 
I think this is probably a sentimental one, but but my friend that died of suicide this year, I'd love to be collaborating with him. Like he admittedly said he will never read the book, but he would wait for audio. Uh, Um, So, you know, and I think within my mind, I'll probably be collaborating with him through the next Mm. couple of years to make sure that gets done for people who don't necessarily like reading. I've got, I've had people buy the book who are like, I'm not going to read it, (laughs) but I just want to support. But yeah, so probably him in one instance and, yeah, I don't. I don't know. I'm not. I'm not one that looks at famous people and. Yeah, I know what you mean. Like, so it's a really tricky one. I just, yeah. I just want to work with people and collaborate with as many people in this space that want to make a change for the future and for the people around them. So. Yeah. I'm probably jumping on the fence a little bit with that. No, answer. that one's totally <laughs> fine because I sometimes I've even collaborated with people that I'd never even knew existed, and now we've collaborated, and it's been amazing. So. Yeah. You just yeah. never know who's yeah. going to be worthwhile to collaborate with. I, I'll, I'll probably say I'd love to go to, I'd love to travel and speak in other countries. Yeah. I think learning about, while sharing my story, I think I would love to learn about what that experience is like in other countries as well because like, it is would yeah. be different. and oh, for sure. But it would also have lots of similarities yeah. to it as well. So it it's probably not so much collaboration with someone. It's probably collaboration with many people. Yep. in other countries to learn more and I'm fortunate enough to know people who have done that and I see them doing it and the joy and the reward they get from it not just on a personal level but on a community level so there's definitely ambitions to do that yeah cool yeah and the last question is if you could make one recommendation as a step that anyone can take towards healing what would it be I think you got to go the first step and that's not just reach out for help, but keep reaching out. Mm. I think a lot of people reach out, get scared, and rightly, understandably so. It's daunting. Um, but once you, they say it flippantly these days, but once you reach out, like that is the hardest part because most people that reach out, it's taken months, years, or decades to do it. That So that is literally how long it's taking you to do that. So mm. that is the hard part. Mm-hmm. Um, so and continue to to reach out and find what works for you because so that's two but find what works for you because what works for me might not work for you and what works yeah. for you might not work for someone else so yeah. it's it's finding the things that help you and this journey we call life isn't you know a straight road it, it's it's detouring off the road and then coming back and finding along that part of the journey you know what works and what helps you and what guides you and when you start to do that you find you know magical people magical places magical ideas and the reality is like we didn't know each other until a couple of well a week ago really yeah in the context of things like if you keep reaching out and you keep putting yourself out there and turning up like things fall into your life Mm. um so just keep keep reaching out yeah great way to end um, so Shane, also, if people want to find you, speaking of reaching out, <laughs> if they do want to find you, they do want to get your book, what's the best way for them to go about it? So it is on Amazon, yep. um, but it's also on my website. Um, I'll say go to my website. I prefer that. But Yeah, um, and I'll put it in the show notes as well. Yeah. So, yep. so let, yeah, go, just go onto the website. Um, yep. My uh, wellbeing journal's there as well. My book. So the book title is I Didn't Want to Die. I Just Wanted the Pain to End, which essentially paints a picture that um, – yeah, you know, for me, suicide isn't what 
I wanted and I don't think what a lot of people actually want from that action. They, they want the pain to go away. They mm-hmm. want they want to heal. They want to understand. They want to educate themselves, but they just don't know how. There's, there's fear. There's so much that goes behind that. Um, so, yeah, jump on the website, powerstrengthvulnerability.com.au, long one. Um, and, yeah, this they'll be able to get whatever they want or they can follow me on the socials. Yeah. Sounds good. I'll put links to all of that in the show notes as well. Well, thank you so much for coming on and sharing your story as well. And I know a lot of people listening will have been able to take at least some, you know, some steps they can take or just plant some seeds of thought for them as well. So really appreciate it. Thanks for having me. No problem at all. Thank you, wonderful listeners, for making it right to the end of the podcast. We appreciate you. If you like what you hear, feel free to subscribe, give us a rating. We'll be dropping a new episode roughly once per fortnight, so you can stay tuned for the next one. Thank you.